And so if you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Or you can look up at the passage that is projected on the screen. You know, at this time of the year, Christians all over the world, they set aside this week in their calendar for deeper meditation on the events of Christ's passion, on his sufferings, his death on Good Friday, and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so that's what we're doing. We are joining uh, the number of churches all around the world that is focusing on some aspect of Christ's resurrection glory and his promise of eternal life to all those who would believe in him. And so wherever you are, as your act of worship, please stand with me and we will read and receive God's word together from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading from verses 50 to 58. So friends, please hear now the reading of God's holy word. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And would you join me one more time as we go to the Lord asking his blessing. Father, we have a mixture of emotion, great joy, as we have read in this passage that Christ has risen. And in in his rising from the dead the third day, he has conquered death. And yet there's deep sadness that we cannot share this joy together. And yet, because we know that worship is in spirit and in truth, that by your spirit, we are united together to Christ. And so this day, we celebrate that we are united not to a dead Christ, but to the risen Christ. Help us then, Lord, as we focus our minds on the resurrection of Christ with the same intensity by which we looked at the cross on Good Friday, we would look to now the empty tomb and the ascended Jesus and our longings and our hearts would stir and desire him, to worship him, to gaze upon him, and look with hope that one day too, we will also share in that resurrection. So we pray your blessing, O Lord, upon the preaching of your word, that all who gather would hear, be blessed, and encouraged to the glory of your name. We pray these things in Christ. Amen. Uh, the entire first, uh, the entire chapter of First Corinthians, uh, chapter fifteen, is Paul's reflection and his meditation on the resurrection. But interestingly, First Corinthians fifteen is not just about Christ's resurrection; it also includes our resurrection. In fact, Paul spends a good amount of time in this chapter considering what the resurrection means for us personally. And this is because Christian hope is not just hope uh, that Christ has resurrected. 
but it's a hope that says, because Christ is resurrected, we too will resurrect. You see, the message of the empty tomb is not just good news for Jesus, but it's good news for us. The fact that Christ conquered death on the cross and in his resurrection is ultimately our source of hope. Because it means that now we can, we can look at death. We can look at death square in the eye and not cower in fear. You know, it was difficult preparing this message, especially in this season. Yes, it's a season of joy, but the larger season we've been in for a few months has been uh, one of great tragedy and loss. And if you're like me at all, you look at the staggering number of deaths around the world because of the coronavirus and you just feel it in your gut. Even last night, I was just looking at the numbers. The United States, New York City in particular, you look at Italy and Spain. And it's not sensationalism when you turn on the news and they report that the death count for that day has reached an all-time high. That it's never been that high before. That's not sensationalism. It's just the frightening and fearful reality of the times that we're in. Yes, we're focusing on the joy of Christ's resurrection, but all around us, we are just being confronted with death over and over again. And you can deal with it in different ways. You can close your eyes. You can cut yourself off from the news. You can put hands up to your ears, but the reality isn't going away. And if it's not through hearing reports and seeing the news, you're confronted with it from just learning about people you know, people in your circles, people you care for, people you love who are being affected. And if not just affected, some even having passed away. Now on this day, when we rejoice in Christ's resurrection life, death is surrounding us maybe like it's never surrounded us before. Now, in the midst of all of this, this past week, something interesting happened. I received an email, a very sad email, that a ruling elder in one of the churches in our presbytery, he had passed away. Uh, but then something in the email caught me off guard. Uh, not that it was so shocking, but it just surprised me. Because the email announced that this ruling elder had passed away, but then it ended saying, by the way, he did not pass away from COVID-19. He passed away from a heart attack. Now, do you know why that struck me so hard? Because for some reason, being so caught up in COVID-19 and everything happening, I briefly, I temporarily forgot that people are still dying every day from the same old things that killed people before this pandemic even struck us. People still have heart attacks. There's still death from diseases and cancers and accidents and hunger and, and murder and abortions. And I was flooded with emotion because when you hear about all of the data around the world of total deaths because of the coronavirus, you're, you're overwhelmed, you're shocked. But then you have to remember those numbers of deaths are all additional to the daily number of people who die from non-coronavirus deaths. And these causes of death, no shelter, no food, no water. All of these infections and diseases and heart issues, all of these other things, these will continue long after this pandemic goes away. 
And in that three seconds, when I read this email and all of this struck me and filled my head, in those three seconds, death grew six inches taller and put on 50 pounds of extra muscle. And I was so deeply afraid. But just when death seemed bigger and scarier to me this week than it's ever been, the hope of Easter and the message of 1 Corinthians 15 reminds me, even then, Christ is still bigger. Christ is still stronger. Here's our gospel truth this morning. Christ's victory over death is the Christian's victory over death. Christ's victory over death is the Christian's victory over death. And this promise given to us by God and offered to the world is for any and all who would look to the Lord Jesus Christ this day, trusting in faith in his death and his resurrection for all those who would believe. Now, as we look at this passage and consider this gospel truth, we're going to consider four things this morning. We're going to look at the trumpet, the taunt, the thanks, and the therefore. So four simple points, all starting with T, the trumpet, the taunt, the thanks, and the therefore. So let's begin with this first point, the trumpet. Look with me at verse 51. And there you'll see that Paul writes this, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now you're likely to find and see verse 51 hanging in a nursery where all the babies are crying out something similar. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, of course, sleep here, Paul is not referring to, to going to bed as we often mean by it. He's referring to death when he says sleep. And Paul uses this word sleep, not in order to diminish death, but to dispel the notion that death is final. You see, for Christians who are united to the resurrected Savior, death is not the last word. Christ's resurrection on Easter Sunday reduces the power of death to a mere nap. And when Christ does this, this mere nap is not even a long, leisurely Saturday afternoon kind of nap. That Christ has turned death, this scary foe, into a momentary nodding off for a second. It's brief. It's temporary. Because something happens when you die. And verse 52 tells us what happens. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. You see, as soon as you die, in a moment, there's a change that takes place that's signaled by the sound of a trumpet. Now, what is that in reference to? Well, in biblical times, a trumpet was often sounded for one of two reasons in a military use. First, the trumpet would be sound to say, we're marching out to battle. It was marching orders. Assemble yourselves. We're going out to fight. But another time the trumpet was sounded was when the battle was over and a victory had been won. Then you would sound the trumpet, put down your arms, there's been a victory. Now, interestingly, right before this chapter in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, Paul used trumpet in that first way. He says there, and if the bugle, that's the same Greek word trumpet, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? 
And so verse chapter 14 is assembling people. Let's get ready for battle. That's why the trumpet is blaring. But here in chapter 15, notice that Paul calls it the last trumpet. And it's the last trumpet because it comes at the end of the battle. And it's signaling that Christ has won this decisive victory. You know, Paul is saying the tomb is empty. Christ has defeated death. And so wait for the sound of the trumpet. In Christ's victory over death, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be afraid. Because yes, maybe one day you will die. But then you will hear the sound of the trumpet signaling that Christ is calling all those to himself. Because as he has conquered death, we too will conquer death. You know, the Christian hope is this. That in the blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, as fast as you can imagine, one day you'll be raised to new life, eternal life shared with this resurrected Jesus. And when that happens, you will undergo a change. Now, what change is that? Verse 53 elaborates. There, Paul writes, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. You know, the perishable body Paul talks about refers to our present body. This is a body that's subject to death and destruction and deteriorating and decaying. But Paul's saying when we share in Christ's resurrection that our bodies, at the sound of the trumpet on the last day, our bodies will be renewed. The perishable will put on the imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. And the sound of the trumpet is like unlocking a cheat code on the clock that is governing your life, resetting it so that your life will never expire again that you're going to share one day in eternal life with Christ as you enjoy the inheritance of God's kingdom. That we are given this new resurrected body. Why? So that we can inherit the kingdom God has in store for us. Look at what Paul writes in verse 50 when he began this section of our passage. He wrote, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Basically, Paul is saying in your old body with a dead and dying and decaying old body, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so Christ in his resurrection gives you a new resurrected body. Why? So that you can inherit and receive and enter into God's kingdom. Because unless you are dressed for the occasion, you have no way of entering into that which Christ is offering you, the very kingdom of God. But the thing about God's kingdom is that it's not a black tie event. Putting on a tuxedo and a fancy gown will not gain you entrance into his kingdom. Flesh and blood, the old body that you wear now, it's not fit. It's not appropriate for the eternal kingdom. So how do you get in? And Paul is saying God is going to dress you for the occasion. He's going to address you. He's going to dress you in a new resurrected body. Now, do you remember the Cinderella story? Cinderella really wants to go to that fancy ball, but her stepsisters ruin her dress and so she can't go. And there she sits lamenting the fact in her tattered clothing, weeping in the backyard when her fairy godmother appears. 
And instantaneously, at the appearance of this fairy godmother, she transforms a pumpkin into a carriage. She uh, transforms her mice friends into uh, mighty horses. Her horse is transformed into a coachman, and her dog is transformed into a footman. And despite all of these transformations, Cinderella is still sitting there in her tattered clothing, in her tattered dress. And so her fairy godmother looks at her and says, oh, good heavens, child. You can't go in that. And with one wave of her wand, in the twinkling of an eye, Cinderella is clothed from top to bottom in a new, beautiful white dress with glass slippers. Now she is dressed to go to the prince's ball. Except, of course, as we know in the story, there is one condition. This is all a spell. And when the clock strikes midnight, all will be undone and return to normal. Now, you watch something like that. And these fairy tales, they strike a chord in us because there are so much echoes of gospel truth. Because the gospel truth in this story is telling us that in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet, at the wave of a wand, you're not just given a new dress but you yourselves will be changed gloriously and beautifully. That in the resurrection, you will put on imperishability and immortality. But this gift isn't given to you by some fairy godmother, but is given to you by God the Father. And the good news continues. This is not a spell one that expires after a certain time. Rather, you will continue into all eternity with this new, raised, imperishable, glorious body that cannot be ruined or tainted by death or disease. And so Paul is saying, now sharing in Christ's resurrection, dressed and clothed in this new resurre resurrection body as you share it with Christ, you now finally can inherit the kingdom of God. Now you are dressed to enter the prince's ball. Now you can dance in the banquet hall. Now you can dine at the king's table. But here's the best part. When all the festivities and the joy of the evening ends, you do not get in a car and return to your home. Rather, you go upstairs and you sleep in your bed in the castle because his kingdom is now your kingdom. Easter Hope says, why be afraid of death? One day you're going to hear the sound of the trumpet and in the flash of an eye, when we do, we will be raised in a glorious resurrection as we enter and are given the promised kingdom of God. That's our first point, the trumpet. But here's the second, the taunt. The taunt. Let's look at now at verses 54 and 55. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You see that little song at the end, that little refrain, it's actually a collection of two uh, verses from the Old Testament that Paul takes from Isaiah, he takes from Hosea, and he stitches it together and he makes a little taunt out of it, a little song out of it. Now think about that for a second. Do you remember when you were little and you were a young kid in elementary school and you, and you were taunted by other kids or other kids taunted you? You always needed a taunt back, a retort back, recess, playtime, in homeroom. 
If they said something to you, you had to have a comeback. And maybe you had this one ready in your back pocket. I know you are, but what am I? Right, that burn, that was a burn. You could not recover from that. That ended things. It put you in an existential bind. Well, who am I? Or maybe your go-to move was, you know, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. And that taunt, saying that in retort, there's no comeback to that because that begins an infinite loop. As soon as someone responds, well, you say, well, I'm rubber, you're glue. They say something, well, I'm rubber, and you're glue. It's never ending. One last saying, and this one was always just a little bit more defensive, was to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And you said that to demoralize your opponent, to frustrate them saying, yeah, you're coming at me with all these attacks and slurs. But that's too insignificant. (laughs) That won't hurt me. You see, even as kids, we're armed with these kinds of responses. These kind of responsive taunts so that when somebody attacks you and makes you feel small and weak, that you basically come back at them and you say, what you're saying means nothing to me. And that's precisely what Paul is teaching us here. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, Corinthians, I want you to learn this lesson. If death ever comes your way and death bullies you, if death ever corners you into fear and anxiety, if death ever lays a hand on you and tries to suffocate you, here's what I want you to say. Look at death and say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul is saying, you can only say this now because Christ's victory over death gives you power to stand up against death. Because the reality is, before Paul gave us this assurance through Christ's resurrection, death, it ruled and it reigned over the world for the longest time. That death was that big kid on the playground, bullying and picking on every kid who was smaller than him. And every kid, even the parents on the playground, were smaller than death. And so all throughout history, no one could stand up against death. Anyone who tried would get knocked right down. And that is until Jesus Christ came. And when Jesus came, he came to confront the bully who was terrorizing all of humanity from Genesis 4, where we see the first death. And Jesus Christ, he entered into our world. And on Good Friday, he entered into the ring with death. And as we celebrate today on Easter Sunday, he exited that ring as the victorious conqueror and the champion. What is today all about? What is Easter Sunday? What's the big deal? Jesus defeated death in his resurrection, and he made a way for you to escape death too. He took the finality out of death. And this is why Paul insists on referring to death as sleep. In fact, this is why when Jesus came and he was walking and doing his ministry here on earth, whenever people died, he always referred to those dead people as people who were sleeping. No matter how many people laughed at him and said, are you serious? Don't you know what is happening? And when Jesus called death sleeping, he was never playing down the severity of death. Jesus understood death. He wept when his friends died. And yet he knew that in his victory, there would be victory for all. The question is, do you believe that those who are united to Jesus by faith have a hope that death is not the end? 
you know, death is briefly closing your eyes for a moment, sleeping, falling asleep here on earth with the promise that you will open them again in heaven, that it'll happen just like that. I think I've shared this illustration before, but for those who haven't heard it, let me explain what death is like to the Christian and why you don't have to be afraid. I remember vividly these kinds of experiences as a, as a child, and, and maybe you do too growing up. Uh, you're out with your family, you're a young kid, uh, your parents are driving, you're headed home from somewhere, and it's late at night, and you fall asleep in the back seat of the car. And so your parents, they look back, they know you're falling asleep, so they cover you with a jacket to make sure you're not too cold. They whisper so as not to wake you. And finally, they pull into the driveway and they look back and you're still fast asleep. So what do they do? Your mom and your dad, they gently pick you up and they carry you in their arms from the car into the house. Then they take you to your room where they place you so that when you wake up in the morning, you're in your bed, you're in your covers. Now, the question is, what did you do to get there? And the answer is nothing at all. All you did was fall asleep. But through another's work, you closed your eyes and fell asleep only to open your eyes and realize that you had arrived home. You see, somebody had brought you home. Christians, this is what death is. It's closing your eyes for the last time on this side of eternity and opening them up in the next only to realize that somebody has brought you home. You see, when we think about death and we've seen the passing of loved ones, we know that when they pass, there is anxiety and fear and worry and uncertainty. And sometimes there is pain and there is suffering. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ promises that for those who trust in him, when you breathe your last and you close your eyes for the last time here on this side of earth, although those who are still with you are suffering and continue in sorrow and grief for the one who has just passed. They close their eyes and they see blackness on this side of earth, but when they open them, what do they see? Glory. Life everlasting. Peace with God. Enjoying the fellowship of his presence for all eternity. This is what Christ promises when he defeated death and was raised to new life. You see, what parent would leave their child to sleep in the back seat, cold all throughout the night, and exposed to danger? No parent. The parent would ensure that they're brought inside, that they're brought home, that they're placed in their bed. How much more then will our Heavenly Father go to lengths to make sure that when you close your eyes and fall asleep here on earth, you will wake up in your bed in the castle of the kingdom that he has promised you in heaven? Death, then, is just a transition. It's just a way of going home. So death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Where is your power? You've been rendered no longer an enemy, but a conquered, defeated foe. You know, there's a scene in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy and her friends finally reach the Emerald City and they finally come face to face with the wizard. 
And if you remember that that old ancient movie, he is this terrorizing, uh, green, glowing face who speaks out with a booming voice and there's thunder howling all around him. And everybody, Dorothy and her company, are rightfully afraid. He's quite a sight. It is quite a spectacle. But not long after, he is exposed. And they realize that this great and fearful Wizard of Oz is just an old man hiding behind a curtain. And when they see him, when they see him for who he really is, the scarecrow points his finger right at the old man and says, You humbug! You humbug. How dare you have tried to trick us acting like you were some big, fearful, and frightful enemy of ours. You are just a frail, frail man. In his death and resurrection, Christ pulled back the curtain so that death that you were so afraid of is exposed to be nothing but a powerless, defeated, stingless, defeated enemy. So now you can point your finger and say, who do you think you are, death? You see, now with Apostle Paul, you can be imprisoned, about to die, and still say, for me to live, or for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then with Stephen, you can be dragged outside the city, about to be stoned, and still cry out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That with David, you could be running from the presence of your enemies and still pray, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel, fear no evil. That with Job, you can undergo every kind of suffering and trial and still sing, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, this is the hope of Christ's resurrection. It gives you a taunt to yell at death. For in his victory over death, you, the Christian, have victory. Which leads to our third point, the thanks. Paul then goes on to explain in verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And here, Paul connects sin and death, because earlier, if you remember, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul had written this famous verse, For the wages of sin is death. That's bad news. That there is sin and sin leads to death. But the gospel combats the bad news with good news. The good news of verse 57 where Paul then says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the victorious one. Some of you may have remembered in 2017, the world witnessed what was dubbed, right? Anticipated what was dubbed the biggest fight in combat uh, sports history. It was supposed to be this epic battle between uh, Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Conor McGregor. Now, it wasn't quite the night or the fight that anybody hoped for, but it still certainly was the biggest fight in terms of prize money, which is why that fight was also uh, called the money fight. And reports say that at the end of the fight, Floyd Mayweather earned $275 million from the fight, and then McGregor, who lost, earned $130 million. You see, these two fighters, they entered into the ring to fight for riches, for glory, and for fame. But Jesus Christ entered the ring, laying aside riches, glory, and fame. As he entered into that ring to fight death, but you see, Jesus went in still with his eyes set on a prize. 
He was fighting for another prize. But it wasn't any kind of earthly attainment. The prize he was fighting for was far more valuable than these things. What was he fighting for? He was fighting for you. You were his prize. And yet in order for him to win your life, Christ forfeited his life. You see, it was in his loss that he gained that which he came for. You. Because a victory for you meant a death for him. And so he went to the cross willingly to die in your place. That's why he took on your sin, so that he could take on your death. So that he could take the sting of death. So you and I would never have to suffer it again. David Watson was an English evangelist, and he tells a story that he was out in his garden with his daughter one day, and she uh, went around the corner, but all of a sudden he heard a terrifying shriek and a cry. And he ran over to see what the issue was, and he saw his daughter running across their yard and a bee chasing after her. And so his fatherly instincts kicked in. He thought, what could I do? So he quickly grabbed his daughter, wrapped her in his arms, shielding her from the bee with his own body. And a few moments after that, she felt her father's body tighten up and squeeze. Then slowly let go as he whispered in her ear, you needn't worry now, darling, for bees do not sting twice. You see, on the cross, Jesus covers us with his body. He wraps himself around us as our shield. He takes the sting of death so that we could be spared. And he could whisper in your ear, you needn't worry, dear child. Death does not sting twice. And of course, we know Jesus was pricked by more than that of a bee sting. He was pricked by death himself. He was pricked with a crown of thorns and with nails in his hands and feet. And yet he took that willingly so that you would be spared from death. And of course, the hope of this Easter Sunday is that this author of life then resurrected. He resurrected on the third day in a victorious triumph that declared even death could not hold him down. And so Paul shouts forth in verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's victory is the reason Christians give thanks to God. And that giving thanks, Christians, we call that in our lives, giving God praise, giving him worship. You see, when everything around us is taken away from us, when everything is reduced to ashes, when everything we've held dear, our riches our glory, our fame, our health, our very lives, when those things are taken away from us, we still have reason to rejoice. Why? Because we remember the one who willingly gave up those things for us. Even when it seemed like we lost him. For on Good Friday, the disciples thought we've lost our Savior. Yet he was resurrected in glory so that he could be ours and we could be his for all eternity. And for that, we give him thanks. We praise the one who has had victory over death and who promises us that we too will share in that victory. Which leads to our last and fourth point, the therefore. The therefore. See, Paul ends this chapter in verse 58 like this. Therefore, 
My beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul ends this wonderful chapter, his meditation on resurrection with this application. He says, therefore, because we believe Christ's victory is every Christian's victory, therefore, this is how your life should be affected. Therefore, be steadfast and immovable. You see, when we think of the resurrection, we think of the promise of eternal life, we tend to think, oh, the hope of the resurrection means that we have hope in heaven, on eternity. And so I just need to bear through this life in order to get to heaven, to get to eternity. Then I will have Christian hope. But what Paul is saying here is Christian faith is relevant. It makes a difference now in this world, in this present life. That the gospel gives us an anchor to drop down a solid ground for us to stand on. You know, right now, it, it, it's hard to imagine there is a single person in this world who is not affected by the things happening around us. The foundations of our society, of our nation, right, socially, economically, medically, politically, they're being shaken, disrupted. There is an earthquake underneath it. Like a boat out at sea, the waves are coming and tsunamis are coming and monsoons are coming and this little world is being tossed to and fro. And in the midst of all that, idolatries are being exposed. False senses of security are, are tumbling down. Everything people place their hope in is being rattled. And Paul's saying though, but for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his victory, we can endure. We will endure this pandemic and its far-reaching effects. Why? Because when the world shakes at the uncertainty of everything that they're holding on to, we don't shift with the world. When the world quakes, we don't waver with it. Because in Christ, our feet are planted on the rock of our salvation. You know, come what may, the next storm and waves of fear, the next onslaught of hopelessness, but Christians remain steadfast and immovable because our hope is in Christ. You see, Christians should grieve. We should lament. We should cry out during this pandemic. In fact, knowing the value of human life, knowing the perfection and the goodness by which God created this world, when we see the evil taking place around us, we should grieve more lament more, cry out more than anybody else. And yet Christians refuse to be destroyed because there is no such thing as hopelessness. You see, we refuse in the midst of the storm to be swept up in the same fear and panic and hopelessness that grips the world around us. Why? Because we are steadfast and immovable in the one whose victory assures our victory. You know, friends, this Easter Sunday, it's a strange one indeed. Um, it's an experience I hope to never repeat in my life. You know, I'm preaching to a nearly empty sanctuary. You're at home behind a screen, either by yourself or with just a few loved ones. But I'm not discouraged, and I pray you're not either. Because of our hope in Christ, therefore, we remain steadfast and immovable. You know, in the video that we saw, the one that brought such joy 
to us, we heard the repeated refrain, Happy Easter, Happy Easter. How in the world can Easter in 2020 be happy? Only if you know that in Christ's victory over death, you have victory over death. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray.